In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. McKay here and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Well, I am really excited about our guest today. One of the most fascinating people I've ever encountered. His name's Eric Greitens, Truman Scholar, Rhodes Scholar, super smart guy, studied at Oxford. He did humanitarian work with war refugees in Croatia and Rwanda and then other places in the world. After he graduated from Oxford, he decided to become a Navy SEAL. Did that, went through budget training, became a Navy SEAL, actually did combat, earned the Purple Heart, the Bronze Star. And after that, he's continued his work with uh, humanitarian aid, teaching people how to be leaders. He wrote a book about his experience as a humanitarian and as a Navy SEAL. It's called The Heart and the Fist. And his latest book is called Resilience. And I'm going to say it right here, it's the best book I've read so far this year. And I think it's going to be the best book I've read in 2015. Hands down, one of my all-time favorite books. What it is, it's a book that's inspired by the letters that he wrote to a Navy SEAL bud who was going through a hard time, and it's all about becoming more resilient in life. And Eric combines philosophy from Aristotle, Thucydides, modern psychology, and his own experience as a Navy SEAL, and lays out a philosophy of resilience. And I've read a lot about resilience, studied a lot about resilience, and this is by far the best book I've read about the topic. Eric and I are going to talk about resilience, what it means, how to develop it, fascinating discussion. So let's do this. All right, Eric Greitens, welcome to the show. Hey, Brett, great to be on with you. Real pleasure to be with you. All right, well, so before we get into uh, your latest book, Resilience, let's talk a little about your background because it's really fascinating. So you started out as a humanitarian, doing humanitarian work in Africa, but then you became a Navy SEAL. And those things seem like diametrically opposed, but you make the case in your book, The Heart and the Fist, that they're actually very compatible. Uh, can you explain how you went from humanitarian to Navy SEAL and how you see those sort of fitting together into uh, your mission? Yeah, of course, Brett. Um, so you're right. I, I did a lot of humanitarian work before I joined the military. I'd worked in, in Bosnia uh, with refugee children. I worked in Rwanda with kids who'd been orphaned and abused who were survivors of the genocide. Worked in um, Cambodia with kids who'd lost limbs to landmines, kids who were survivors of polio. And I remember actually there was one time I was in Bosnia, and as, as you and, and the folks who are listening to our podcast will remember, there were horrible campaigns of ethnic cleansing in Bosnia in the 1990s. I was 20 years old at the time, working in a refugee camp, 
And I sat down with this guy and he said to me, he said, you know what? He said, I appreciate that you're here. He said, please understand. I appreciate that you're here. I'm glad that there's a roof over my head. I appreciate that the international humanitarian communities provided food for my family, that there's a little kindergarten for my kids to go to school. He said, but he said, if people really cared about us, they'd be willing to help to protect us. And I didn't know what to say to him at the time, Brad. I was, I was 20 years old sitting in this refugee camp, but I realized later that what he said was true, that if you really love anything, if you really care about anything, you're willing to respond not only with compassion, but you're willing to respond with courage, that you have to be willing to stand up and protect those things that you care about and protect the people that you care about. And I believe that you know you have to bring, you have to live a life that involves both courage and compassion. I think that without courage, your compassion falters. It's courage that really makes your compassion meaningful. At the same time, without compassion, courage doesn't really have any direction. You've got to have that compassion that provides direction for your for your courage. And so, after I joined the military relatively late, I was 26 years old. I finished a dissertation writing about how international humanitarian organizations work with kids in war zones. And then I made this transition from uh, the academic world to officer candidate school and to the SEAL teams. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, uh, you're a Rhodes Scholar as well, right? That's part I, of your career. I, I was. I had, had a great time at Oxford. Got a wonderful, wonderful education there. Yeah, I mean, I think you wrote that, you know, in order to be good, you have to be strong. And then in order to be strong, you have to be good. It, that, that's exactly right. And I think that, you know, and men know this instinctively, right? We know that there is a real power that comes when we're living for a purpose that's larger than ourselves. There's a strength that comes from having compassion, from having friends who we care about, that those things actually make us stronger when we're when we're good. And we also recognize that in order to do things well, to care for people, to provide for people, you have to have some strength. And you got to find ways to bring that strength and goodness, that courage and compassion together to really live a full life. Okay. So yeah, if you, if you haven't read his book, Heart and the Fist, go check it out. It's a very a great read. But let's talk about your most recent book, uh, Resilience. Uh, can you tell me the story, how that book came to be? Yeah. So I was... Driving home uh, in the middle of Missouri, I'm on Highway 70, uh, heading from Columbia, Missouri, back home, and I look down, and my my phone is ringing, and it was my my friend Zach Walker, and Zach is a guy who had been through Bud's training with me. Bud's is the basic underwater demolition SEAL training, the basic Navy SEAL training. Really good friend of mine, but the kind of guy who you you know you have a real intense experience like that with. You're great friends, and then you stay in touch, you know, maybe once a year. And when I saw him calling Brett, I actually, I thought it was going to be bad news. I thought he was going to call and tell me that another one of our friends from our, from our buds class had died. And I answered the phone and it, it turned out not to be that. Now, you got to understand a little bit about who Zach Walker was. This is a kid from a, a Northern California logging family and a tough guy, like even in a buds class of people who are all trying to be Navy SEALs, Zach Walker was, was one of the toughest and, you know, we'd been through training together. And after that, he went to the East Coast SEAL teams. I stayed on the West Coast. And he told me what, what had happened. You know, he went to Afghanistan, did a deployment, and came home as this kind of Navy SEAL war hero. You know, he'd done his service over there, came home, and then he bought a concrete pumper, started a small business, taking care of his family, had two young kids at the time. 
And then, Brett, his life was just hammered by hardship. Um, his brother died. Uh, he lost his business and pulls into his driveway one night, gets out of his truck and drops to the ground because he thinks there's a sniper watching him. And he lays there for hours until the sun goes down. And then he gets up and runs into his house and he realizes, man, I've got post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, he starts drinking and Zach never did anything in moderation. So it's not a case, but a cooler full of beer that he's working through on the weekend. And he called me after he'd been arrested. So um, you got a guy who's, you know, Navy SEAL war hero, small business owner, taking care of his family, who goes down then to being an unemployed alcoholic on disability who's looking at the possibility of having his kids come to visit him in jail. Um, we talked for a while. And then that night I got home and I started writing him a letter um, about what it takes to build resilience. And, you know, I drew from my experience not just in the SEAL team training, but doing that humanitarian work, working with veterans who'd come home. He wrote back to me, and the book is a series of 23 letters to my friend, Zach Walker, who, who I love and was, was going through a tough time. Yeah, and what I loved about that format, because it is, they're letters that you, to your friend Walker, is that it felt like you were like talking to the reader, right? There'd be some, I knew you were like, you were talking to Zach, uh, your friend, but like, it felt like when I was reading, it was like, man, he's talking to me. It was. That's what I loved about that format. It's very personable. Well, thanks a lot. You know, I we've had we've had a lot of folks who've who've said that to us, and I think that is one of the really nice things about uh, the letter format is that everybody can read this, and everybody has to deal with pain in their life. Everybody has to deal with with hardship, and you can really take this. It's a very practical um, advice that I was giving to to a friend and. Uh, the you in the book is, is often, you know, the readers say like, Hey, this guy's, he's talking right to me. It's a, you're bringing up an interesting point. So your friend, I mean, he, yeah, he was a Navy SEAL. He saw some, yeah. just some terrible stuff. He, and he was tough. Yes. Um, but then you, you see people where they're put in a different context and they become unresilient, even though you think, wow, wow, you were resilient in this situation. Why doesn't resilience translate over to civilian life where you don't have to, you know, checking your six all the time why why is it possible to have like uneven resilience or uneven courage yeah I, I think it absolutely is Brett I think you've hit on something that's really important and I do think that people have uneven courage like we all have uneven courage I have uneven courage you have uneven courage Zach has uneven courage and the reason why is that you build courage through the practice of facing fear and so while you can learn to face fear very comfortably in one context, you can still act cowardly in, in another. I mean, and, and I saw this a lot in my work with veterans. You'd work with people who, you know, every day got up, they'd put on body armor, check a radio, load a rifle, step into a Humvee, drive into the streets of a place like Fallujah Rock, kick down a door behind which they believed they were Al-Qaeda terrorists. And then they come home and maybe they've been burned or... They've lost a limb and they're afraid to go to the mall because they're afraid of what kids might say. Yeah. And, and so you do find we all have uneven courage. It was something that I, you know, I actually learned uh, a good story from time when I was, was boxing. I, I, was, I knew a guy who had once been a trainer to one of the heavyweight champions of the world. And he told me this story. He said that one day the heavyweight champion of the world calls him on the phone and says, hey, man, hey, I, I, need you to, I need you to help me. I need you to talk to somebody for me. And the trainer says, well, what is it? What do, what do you need me to do? 
And the heavyweight champ in the world says, there's this guy, he's, he's in the other room and I'm gonna take the phone in and, and you, you gotta talk to him for me. And the trainer says, well, well, who do you need me to talk to? And the heavyweight champ in the world says to him, he says, man, it, it's my gardener. And the trainer says, well, why do you need me to talk, to talk to your gardener? And the heavyweight champ says, well, he's got this bill and he's trying to overcharge me. And the, the trainer said to me, he said, Eric, this is one of the reasons why so many of these men are taken advantage of once they become champions. He said, they've had all of this training in how you confront one kind of fear, and no one would question their physical courage in the ring. And yet they've never learned how you confront somebody over an emotional issue, a social issue, a financial issue. And then they become champions, and they're hit by all of these issues, and they're often beset by fear. So I think it's very true. We all have uneven courage, and I think the promise of you know, what I hope is, is the promise of the resilience book is it gives everybody, points us in a direction to show us how we can start to build that courage in our lives. How do you define resilience? Because we've written about it before on the site. We've interviewed other guests who've talked about resilience. Um, do you define it as bouncing back or is it something else? Yeah, so I actually, I think it's something else, Brett. I think that resilience is the virtue that enables us to move through hardship and become better. That's how I define it. It's the virtue that enables you to move through hardship and become better. And I'll tell you why I don't think of it as, as bouncing back. So um, you may know, but resilience, uh, our use of the word resilience actually comes to us from physics. So in, in physics, there's this principle of elasticity. And the basic idea is that you hit an object with compressive stress and resilience is the measure of how quickly that object can return to its prior state after it's hit, been hit by an outside force. And so that's what we've taken that idea of resilience and we've applied it to human beings and we tell people you should just bounce back, bounce back, bounce back. And I actually believe human beings can't bounce back. And the reason why you can't bounce back is because you can't go back in time. So the 19-year-old Marine who leaves for Afghanistan is never going to be 19 again. And parents who lose a child are never going to be the same parents again. The entrepreneur whose business goes bankrupt is never going to be the same entrepreneur again. So what resilient people are able to do is not to bounce back from hardship, but they're able to integrate hard experiences into their lives in such a way that they become better. And that's what I think is really at the heart of resilience. Do you think, and we've, I've asked this question too, you know, when I look back at my own ancestors, right, and you know, they, they crossed the plains with, yes. with hand carts, buried right. children, buried wives, buried husbands, and they just seemed really tough. And, and now you look at, I look at myself and there's like situations where I'm just like, I kind of like, I'm like that boxer. I'm like, oh gosh, I got to like talk to this, this guy who's overcharging me and that kind of freaks me out. Um, do you think our modern culture, sort of our comforts make us less resilient? We don't have opportunities to practice it all that often. I, I definitely think that cultures in the past had to live harder lives. And it's one of the reasons why so much of the wisdom about resilience that's in the book is ancient wisdom. It's because 2000 years ago, if your friend who is 22 years old got a toothache, they might die. Um, the odds of your children living past the age of seven were slim. Um, people had to deal with starvation. They had to deal with drought. They had to deal with disease and hardship in a way that was that, that for many of us can't even fathom today. And so what's powerful, I think, is when you look back, though, you see there is all of this ancient wisdom about how to deal 
uh, with hardship. And what I've tried to do in resilience is to make a lot of that wisdom really accessible to people so that you can see how uh, what people learned in the past can be applied to your life today. Okay. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme, cargo capacity means more room for your gear, and there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering, and the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Well, let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. If you're like my family, we're getting to the busy part of the year. Spring sports are happening, a lot of after-school activities. So sometimes planning and cooking dinner, just don't have time for that. That's where Factor Meals comes in. With Factor, you get fresh, never-frozen meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor, you get restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, no cleanup needed. It's also less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian-approved to be nutritious and delicious. So we've been using Factor Meals in the McKay household for a while now. There's a lot of reasons why we like them. First off, the food tastes great. Last week, I had creamy pesto pork chop with spinach, cauliflower, rice, roasted green beans. Tasted fantastic. But the big selling point, it's easy. There's no cooking. There's no cleaning up. It's great for those nights when you're busy and you don't have much time. Uh, to, to take care of dinner and you don't want to do takeout because you feel gross after takeout. If you'd like to try Factor Meals, head to factormeals.com slash manliness50 and use code manliness50 to get 50% off. That's code manliness50 at factormeals.com slash manliness50 to get 50% off. Check it out today and make sure to check out the creamy pesto pork chop. It's really good. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. 
Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. So throughout the book, each letter has a topic. Yes. Um, and I guess it's sort of a component of resilience. I mean, I know you can't go through exhaustively all of them, but what are some of like the big components of resilience resilience and how do you go about developing these? Well, so I think, you know, big picture, I'd say in terms of how you develop resilience, it's, it's the same, like the way you develop any virtue, right? It's like courage. It's like compassion. It's like humility. Um, and you, you develop a virtue by practicing it. If you want to be courageous, you act with courage. If you want to be compassionate, you act with compassion. That's a very act. Aristotelian approach. Yes, yes, exactly. It's a very Aristotelian. And what's great about it too, Brett, is that it's so hopeful. Because what it says to you is that you do not have to be the person that you are today. If you want to be someone else, if you want to change your character, if you start acting in a certain way, you can literally shape and build your own character through by with the right intention followed by the right actions. And that's what's really that's what's really hopeful about this. And so, you know, some of just some of the pieces that we talk about in resilience is that, you know, people are much more resilient when they have a purpose, when they have a why. Uh, one of the things that I quote in the book is a philosopher who said that if you have the right why, you can make it through any how. A lot of times when people are in a place where they're dealing with hardship and change and challenge and chaos and confusion, they're overwhelmed by how. They're trying to think, you know, how am I going to support my family? How am I going to deal with this? And if people have the right why, if they know that I have to do this, because my family needs me, because my community needs me, because my friends need me. That why actually makes people much more powerful. So, you know, I talk, for example, about, about how you build that sense of purpose. Um, also, people who are resilient find ways to take responsibility. Even in situations where lots of things are out of their control, they find ways to take responsibility for what they can be responsible for. And as you know, there are other chapters about how you find a model for yourself, how you how you build mentors into your life, how you build mental toughness. All of those different pieces actually go into helping us to live resilient lives. And I, one thing that struck me as I read this book, and um, a lot of the books that I've read about resilience is that I think misses is that I think Americans often think of this idea of resilience that you'll achieve it. And then once you're there, like you're good to go, like right, right. you'll never like every, it doesn't matter whatever comes you, you've achieved resilience. So you're good. But to reading your book, it sounds like this is a continual thing. Like some days you'll be more resilient and then other days you might be less, but you have to keep working at it. Yeah, it, that's exactly right. That this is, this is a practice that you build into your life. And just like being humble or being courageous or being compassionate, it's not like you get to say, you know what, I, I achieved courage two years ago, and now I don't have to act with courage anymore. You, you, the virtues manifest themselves by what we do in the world. And so if you're going to be resilient, you have to be resilient every day. 
And what's fortunate is that life provides us with all of these different opportunities to learn and to grow and to build our character every day. So you have to be process oriented, not outcome oriented. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have a set of goals and you push yourself and you challenge yourself towards that. But what it does mean is that you recognize that the process of building a virtue is something that's never complete. You never get to say like, I'm resilient now. I'm done. I finished the course. Like we all every day have to build resilience. Even for me, what was fun, Brett, about writing the book was that it actually made me reflect on my own life. And I think, you know, helped me to build, build resilience uh, in my own life. So going back to that idea about taking responsibility is an important yeah. part of, you mentioned somewhere that really stuck out to me was this, you know, oftentimes we live in a society that has, a, we have a morality of intentions that, oh, you know, like, you have like, I, I want to do that, but then you really don't do anything. I mean, can you explain what, what you meant by a morality of intentions and how does that make a culture or a person less resilient? Yeah. So what happens a lot today, Brett, is that I think there are two ways of thinking about morality, right? You can think of either a morality of intentions or a morality of results. And the morality of intention says that we get to measure our goodness in terms of what we hope to accomplish rather than what we actually accomplish. It tells us that our, our thoughts and feelings count for something in their own right. And it's an appealing philosophy for people who exist or want to exist in a world of pure thought and feeling. But it can actually be a very selfish kind of, of morality. I think one of the examples I used um, in the book as I was writing to, to Zach, as I said, look, Zach, I said, think about somebody who decides that they want to tutor a third grader, right? They're going to go after school. They're going to tutor a third grader who's having trouble where they're going to teach them uh, how to read. Right now, our society starts applauding for that person because they've got the right intentions. And it's certainly nice if they want to show up every day. But what I say is it's wrong to go to those lessons unprepared and incapable of doing real good. Why? Because you'd waste that child's time and you'd stand in the way of the help that she really needs. From the perspective of intentions, the volunteer can pat himself or, or herself on the back. But from the perspective of results, that volunteer is actually making a contribution to the child's illiteracy. And the reason why it's so important to have a morality of results if you want to be resilient is that you have to actually look at the results that the world is showing you. Okay. If, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, no, please. Yeah, well, I mean, sort of related to that, and this is sort of a common theme throughout, um, sort of related to this idea of, uh, of wanting to live in the world of feelings, um, a lot of your advice to your friend was like, it was just action-oriented. Yes, um, and I think oftentimes in society, we have this idea, if you feel it and then you'll do it, what you feel, but you actually propose it's actually different. If you want to feel a certain way, you need to do those things that will make you feel that way. Is that yeah, right? Exactly. Exactly. And it's actually, you know, and this is key to actually understanding how we create happiness in our lives and how we build joy. One of the things I, I said to Zach, you know, we were having this discussion one time and he was telling me about how he was feeling bad in the morning and then he was feeling better and then he was feeling bad and how his doctors were asking him how he's feeling and his wife was asking him how he's feeling and I said like what matters right now is not how you are feeling right it's not that I don't love you it's not that I don't care about you but that's not what's most important right now and that the our culture sometimes puts people in a trap where we first ask them how they're feeling. It's the first question. Hey, how are you feeling? How are you doing? How are you feeling? And what happens then is that people begin to think that, well, if I'm feeling a certain way, 
then I should do something. I should act a certain way. And then what happens, of course, is that they act a certain way. And if you act a certain way repeatedly, you actually build your, you build your identity that way. What I said to Zach is you actually have to flip that. And the first question you ask yourself is, who am I and who do I want to be? If you say, and the answer to that question might be, I want to be a good father, might be, I want to be a good boss. The answer to that question might be, I want to be a good athlete. Now, lots of different questions, but the first question you ask yourself is, who do I want to be? And then, you know, if I want to be that kind of person, well, therefore, I must do these things to be that person. And then what you find, and this is the magic piece, is that the way that you act will shape the way that you feel. And we all know this at a really basic level, right? If you get two hours of sleep, you feel different than if you get eight hours of sleep. If you eat healthy, you feel different than if you don't eat healthy. But our, our culture sometimes puts this primacy on feelings where if we really want to be resilient, we first have to think about our identity. Okay. And so, I mean, what can you do? I mean, is if you see someone who's struggling like your friend. Um, I mean, do you, I mean, what's the best approach to help them? Do you, do you not ask them about their feelings or do you say, Hey, let's just go, let's go do something. I mean, what, like what, how do you put that into practice if you're trying to help someone who's having a hard time? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there's lots of different ways to, to put it into practice and I'll, I'll mention just, just a few. I mean, first is to actually ask the question, like, who do you want to be? And a lot of times, you know, I asked, I asked Zach, like, who do you want to be? I, I told him at one point, like, look, you've got a choice here. Like, you can either be the courageous Zach Walker, who I knew when we were going through buds, or you can be the guy who doesn't show up for the job interview because he's afraid. So who do you want to be? And so instead of starting with the feeling, oh, I'm feeling afraid, you just ask the question, who do, who do I want to be? And then you know, oftentimes they end up answering their own question. Well, that's who I want to be. So that's what I need to do. Um, but you also raise a really good point, Brett, is that oftentimes, instead of just asking people how they feel, when people start acting in a certain way, they'll start do they'll start feeling it in a different way. So you go out and you exercise with them. You go for a walk with them. You go out and you do a service project together in the community in the community. And what happens is all of a sudden, as people start acting in that way, they actually start feeling a different way, and you can really help help your friends. When you when you help pull them into the right kind of action with you. Okay. Well, what, one thing I loved about your book was that you you wove in all these different authors and thinkers from ancient times and even modern times. Were there any thinkers or philosophers or writers in particular that really spoke to the issue of resilience in a very articulate way um, that influenced a lot of your thinking when you're writing to your friend? So there, there were there were a lot of different thinkers, as you mentioned, who, who I drew on, and a few of them who were really solid, who I'll, I'll point to. And I mean, there are, you know, for folks who pick up the book, I think there's 150 some plus different sources. Yeah, it's awesome. Lot, lots of places for people to go for further for further reading. But you know, one one author who I really enjoyed uh, was Edith Hamilton. Um, Edith Hamilton wrote a book called The Greek Way. And in the Greek way, she actually writes this wonderful chapter on Aeschylus. Um, Aeschylus, uh, you and, and some of our, our listeners will remember, Aeschylus is often considered to be the father of tragedy, the person who really started writing um, tragedies. And what was interesting was, was Aeschylus was also a soldier. Um, he was a soldier who'd lived a, who'd lived a hard life, and he knew what it took to move through pain and create wisdom, what it took to move through suffering and create strength. And so 
I think that everybody would benefit from reading uh, Edith Hamilton's book. Um, I think you mentioned, you know, earlier when we were talking, Alistair McIntyre's After Virtue, excellent book there, uh, really gives people a, a solid sense for for how um, Aristotle and others thought about virtue and how it how it's created. It's a hard read. It's, a, it's, it's, a tough, it's super it's dense. A tough like dense read. Yes, we should we should <laughs> warn people ahead of time. That's that's a tough read. You can you can bite it off in uh, yeah. in, in small small chunks. Um, you know, but one of the things I'd also say in terms of reading, like where I direct people is I'd say, you know, if you're really thinking about how you build resilience in your life, one of the best things that you can do for yourself is to read a really good biography. Because what a really good biography will always show you is that great people suffered. Every great person who did anything worthwhile has suffered. Every great person has had to do and endure critics and criticism. And, and always in a really good biography, you'll see how that person actually put all of these different pieces of their life together to actually create something meaningful. And so I'd encourage people as they're thinking about reading to also think about picking up a really good biography um, to understand how somebody else managed to, to build this kind of resilience in their life. Well, I'm curious about this, and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but from your own life, are there example, examples when you showed resilience or unresilience? And what did you take away from those personal ex experiences of yours? Yeah, of course there are. Look, you know, I mean, I think one of the nice things about uh, reflecting on your life and, and, you know, even writing this book for me is it helps you to reflect on all of these different places where, um, you know, where you were courageous and where you weren't, where you're compassionate and where you could have been more so, where you were resilient and, and, and where you weren't. I think what's also nice about, about resilience, I'll say, is that um, you know, there are a lot of virtues that you see, like they happen in a moment. So somebody's either courageous or cowardly in a particular moment. What's interesting about the virtue of resilience is that we see it manifest over time. So you can go back and look at your life and, and always and say, you know what, I, I really, I really learned something or, or I haven't yet learned the lesson that I needed to learn um, from that experience. And, you know, one of the things that I write about in the book that was really hard for me, one of the hardest points in my life uh, was when I got divorced. Um, I felt ashamed. I felt like I'd let people down. Uh, this was one of those places in my life where I remember, um, you know, I'd come home. I, I was a Navy SEAL at the time. I'd come home. I'd get in bed, and it was hard to get out. And what that did for me, though, was that over time, it really helped me build an empathy that um, you know, even after having done all of that humanitarian work and working with kids and families in tough situations, I think personally experiencing that kind of hardship really helped build an empathy that um, I hope has, has made me a better leader and a better friend. Fantastic. Well, Eric, where can people find out more about your book? Well, Brett, uh, the book is is available. Certainly, we'd invite everybody to come out to ericgreitens.com. It's just E-R-I-C-G-R-E-I-T-E-N-S.com. You can go out to the website there. Also, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. People can go out to uh, the lo their local bookstores. And uh, at all those places, they'll be able to, to learn more about resilience. Fantastic. Well, Eric Greitens, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Brett, it's my, my pleasure. Honored to be on with you. Thank you for having me. Our guest today was Eric Grydens. He's the author of the book, Resilience, Hard-Won Wisdom for Living a Better Life. It's available on Amazon.com. Do yourself a favor. Go pick up a copy. 
Like I said, best book I've read in a long time. I'm going to reread it again here in a bit. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Tweet me at Art of Manliness. Leave a comment on the podcast. You share any tidbits that you enjoyed from it. Go get it. It's a fantastic read. You can also find out more information about Eric's work at ericgreitens.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And a great way you can show your support for the podcast and for the website is stopping by the Art of Manliness store, store store.artofmanliness.com. We're actually having a sell on all our apparel right now. 30% off all t-shirts. We also have a hat from Ebbets Field flannel that's there. Yeah, again, 30% off. Pick one up. Got some other stuff in there. Coffee mugs, Benjamin Franklin Journal, lapel pins, tie bars, you name it, we got it. Store.artofmanliness.com. Your purchases will support the podcast as well as the content we do on the site. I'd really appreciate it. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 